What does this mean? Martin Luther asked that question 500 years ago to help regular people connect to the Christian journey. In the days of Lent leading up to Easter, the whole church is invited to reconnect to the Word. In the next few minutes, the pastors of Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, will talk about some of the Bible lessons that we read in church, connecting a 2,000-year-old book to real life in the 21st century. Welcome to What Does This Mean? I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. And I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. And I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. We decided to make this podcast because sometimes the Bible makes a lot of sense and is easy to understand, and sometimes it doesn't make any sense at all. And we want you to know we struggle with these texts sometimes too, but we hope that these conversations can help you enter into these readings a little better. It's the fourth week now in the season of Lent. It's going fast. I know. You know, I realized we, did, we didn't say anything at the beginning. The traditional practices of Lent to help us reconnect to God have traditionally been praying, fasting, works of love, doing good things for other people, repentance, being honest about who we are, what we've done, almsgiving or giving money away to a good cause or to people who are in need. And those practices developed over the centuries as great ways for people to kind of stop and reflect and change something in their regular life in order to think more deeply about what God might be doing or how we might come back to God's love. Okay, let's take a look at the readings for the fourth Sunday in Lent. We'll do this in three parts with a little music between each of our reflections. And in that space between the readings, we invite you to just take a few breaths or do whatever you need to do to center yourself or just take a little break in between errands or whatever you're doing. We'll be here when you get back. Pastor Lois, I think you have the first reading. Why don't you give us a little background? Great. We are reading Joshua chapter 5, 9 through 12. Joshua, you might remember, is the leader of God's people after Moses. So Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, into their freedom, but they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And after those 40 years, there was a sense of change and loss. And now Joshua's chosen as as the leader to take the next step of the journey and to lead the people into the promised land. And we meet them today as they are entering. If you can think of the Exodus story as the exit, the leaving of Egypt, today's story is the entrance story, the movement into a new land. Pastor Javen, do you mind doing the reading for us? Sure. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. And so that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, 
They ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. So the image that comes to mind for me is that first meal that you get to have in your kitchen if you've moved and you've brought all your dishes and they're all in boxes and the first night you just have pizza and the second night someone orders out from a Chinese place and you're still unpacking, you're still finding things and it takes three or four nights and finally somebody is able to say, I know where the dishes are, I'm going to the grocery store, I'm going to cook a meal, I want to cook a meal in our kitchen and that night you eat your own food. That sense of of celebration that feels like this kind of a meal. The manna is no longer there. So remember, manna was the food that God provided for the people during the journey, and it was only ever as much as they could eat that day. They were never allowed to pick up more than what they could find. It was a, a little flake that, like dew, was left on the land in the morning, and they were able to pick up just what they could eat that day. If they ever tried to pick up more, it would go rotten. They could only pick up and eat that that day. Now we're in a new land, and we get to cook for ourselves and hold our own food. I also love this image where it starts with, today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. We hear a little hint of Easter in that, when the stone is rolled away, and that the the disgrace of Egypt is the disgrace of having been enslaved, having uh, led lives that have led to the wilderness. Um, all of that God is rolling away and saying, I'm bringing you into new life. I'm offering you a new way of being nourished. You don't have to go back to old foods or carry out food. Um, so while that manna represents all the wandering in the wilderness and never having enough or never having more than we could use and never being sure what tomorrow will bring us, now we have the, a feast of life and freedom and hope and uh, this, this is now our land. There's also questions in that because Whose land is it? So um, when you eat the crops of the land of Canaan that year, it's like, uh-oh, did the they Israelites plant, plant that? that? Yeah. Right. Who yeah, planted right. that land? So there's a lot of questions in this text, too, about what does it mean to inherit land that was already planted? So I think it brings up all kinds of questions about who we are, whose land we're on, whose food we eat. Um, and where it really comes from. I was noticing about their keeping of the Passover earlier in the podcast. We talked about our practices that help us to keep Lent and reconnect to our story. Passover is the quintessential celebration for Jews to remember the story of the Exodus. And one of the things I remember from Bible class is the Hebrew word Zakar, which means to remember, we tend to think of that cognitively like, oh, yeah, do you remember that time we went to the pool and mom forgot the flip-flops or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but in a Hebrew sense, zakar is to reach into the past and make it an experience now. So Every year that people were not just remembering in their heads that they were saved, but remembering in their whole being that 
they're part of this story too. They were brought out out of Egypt. And I feel like that's what we're trying to do when we gather as Christians on Sunday morning is to reconnect to the story and uh, have it be real for us, that it makes a difference for the way we're going to live our lives Monday through Saturday. Well, and communion is really a reenacting of that meal that Jesus giving himself to us each week. We still, 2,000 years later, we're still, we're doing more than remembering that event when we gather on Sunday mornings. And it, it is much more that sense of we're reaching back into the past and making it alive again now, today. I love that. And I loved, Pastor Lois, your image sort of of a kitchen renovation, you know. And But but imagine the renovation goes on 40 years. Right. And, and you're eating. Sometimes not... they do. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but you're not eating pizza every night, which, like, actually might not sound terrible. Manna was just this flaky, yeah. boring, and – Also in the background of this reading is remembering how much they grumbled about the manna during those 40 years. And yet God is faithful to the promise, giving them that manna every day. And now here in this passage, they get to eat the produce of the land and the manna ceases to be. Yeah, I think that that isn't that some of the disgrace that's rolled away is they're complaining about it all, that that God says, "Okay, I'm going to forget that. I know you complained, you weren't the best of people for a long time, but let's put all that behind us and let's go forward into this new promised land. And isn't that something about what communion is for us to say God is rolling away the disgrace of our lives and inviting us to eat this meal of plenty and to live a life in a new way? Well, that's maybe a good place to stop. We'll take a little break and then come back for our second reading. Welcome back. Let's take a look at our second reading, which is from the second book of Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. A little background about this text. We call this Second Corinthians, but apparently this was actually the third letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Last week, if you listened Pastor Javen talked about 1 Corinthians, and Paul wrote this letter to rebuke some of the things that he heard were going on in the Corinthian church. People were being moralistic. They were excluding some. They were setting themselves above one another, and apparently he sends a second letter to them and goes to visit Corinth where he's not received well. Like that first letter didn't create for him an enthusiastic welcome when he arrived and people were pretty rough on him. And so he flees the city, which makes the Corinthian church then 
feel bad about what happened and they actually try to manage the problem themselves and they discipline the people that were creating problems. So now Paul hears that and he writes this letter back to them. So that's all a long way of saying the Corinthian church right now, it's a total mess. Everybody is angry with each other. Uh, They feel distant from each other and are trying to figure out how do we go forward now? So with that in mind, Pastor Lois, would you read the text? Paul writes, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ... There is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This passage has such beautiful language and I gave that big, long kind of introduction to it because it feels like it comes at that moment that probably a lot of us have had, which is, I've totally messed this up. I have, I burned the house down. I, 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 the relationships around me are in shambles because of what I said or what I did, and I can't know how to take a step forward to fix this. And one of those moments where you kind of expect the judgment. It's over. You feel like you des- you deserve it. And the words that come to you is, so if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Mm. I mean, to me, that's just such loving language to somebody who's messed it all up. And for us as people, not to regard one another from a human point of view, but to see one another as Christ sees us. Um, you know, that that kind of mantra, the Christ in me greets the Christ in you, acknowledging that at the deepest part of our being, we're connected to one another in Christ. And that more than anything is the way we Christians should frame every experience that we have. I love how you could read this passage as you described it being written for the Corinthian church, but you can also read it so right now for us. It could be written for any one of us right now. I love that uh, God was not... um, counting our 
trespasses. That sounds like big churchy language, but God isn't holding that brokenness or the ways we've messed up or really ruined the situation. God isn't holding that right now. What God is doing is giving us the work of reconciliation, giving us the goodness of reconciliation to say, right now, you are my ambassador. You have the power and the opportunity and the chance right now to mend relationships and to to remind people that their sins are forgiven, that God is still love. God has always loved. And God is making an appeal through Christ to us to say, you are brand new. Right now is a brand new situation. I am with you right now, giving you power to say this to other people too. Right. And connecting it to the first reading, just thinking about these Israelites who grumbled in the wilderness and who God punished for being idolatrous and unfaithful, there's hope at the end of it. They get their promised land. They get to eat the produce of the land. There's a new creation at the end of all of that. And I think it it fits well with this reading and with the gospel reading that we're about to read. It's like Paul is saying here, we've got to have a different frame of reference for us to go forward. But we because of Christ, have caught this vision of something bigger for us to inhabit. Remember the movie, the is it the Truman Truman Show? Yes. Where Truman is living on the movie set. He doesn't know that it's a movie set. He thinks that is his... It's like reality TV before reality TV was right. a thing. Right, but he thinks that's the reality, that that's all there is to know. And then he discovers that there is a world beyond the one that he knows and all he wants to do is participate in that bigger world and i feel like that's what paul is calling for the church to do is to live in this bigger world beyond the one that we create for ourselves and then calls the church to be the agents of reconciliation in the world, that here's our job description as Christian people is to be the repairer of the breach Mm -hmm. as the Old Testament language or to be involved in bringing people together, groups together, facilitating deeper understanding between cultures, races, or any of the other ways that we divide ourselves. That's a good place to end this discussion, I think. Let's take a quick break. Our gospel reading today is a long one. It's Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, and then picking up at 11b, the second half of 11, through verse 32. You might know this as the parable of the prodigal son. Parables are a way that Jesus taught um, more than just 
teaching lessons. He told stories that sort of exemplified what he was trying to teach. And it was a really common thing that he used. And what that means for us is that there's a lot of interpretation to do with these parables because there's often just a lot of layers of meaning that we, which is part of the richness of a parable. So what I invite you to do as you listen to this long reading is really just let this story wash over you. It is a beautiful and for many people, a familiar story. Just hear these words as if for the first time as Pastor Bradley reads them. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he went off and went to his father. And while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who was who has devoured your property with prostitutes, 
you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. Man, what a great story. I just (laughs) love this story. And there are so many things to say about it. Um, For today, what I want to say is I was actually struck by the elder son reading this story this time. Next time I read it, it'll probably be something different. But I was thinking about how maybe most of us relate more to the elder son who dutifully did everything we were told to do and – and we see around us what we perceive as injustice. Um, so you have this elder son who, when the the younger son asks for his inheritance, runs off, squanders it, and then comes back all contrite and gets this big party. The elder son stayed behind the whole time, did twice as much work, probably because his brother wasn't there to help around the house. And... He's mad when his brother shows up and gets this big party. And I sense that what the older brother wants to say is, this isn't fair. (laughs) This just isn't fair. And I think the point is that God's not just about fairness or maybe that fairness and justice for God doesn't quite look the way we think it should look. And it got me thinking a little bit about equity versus equality. (laughs) And just thinking about, so, and this is kind of in in social justice worlds right now, this is a thing that people are talking about, that equality is treating everyone exactly the same under the law or just in general, treating everyone exactly the same. Equity is treating each person the way they need to be treated to have an equal result. So maybe some people need more help than others to be brought up to the same level. And it seems to me that maybe the father has sort of that lens, that he wants both his sons to know they are loved and have a place in the family. The elder son has known that all along. And now this younger son comes back and has every reason to think, he's going to be rejected by his parents when he by his whole family when he returns and instead his father's response is to throw a huge party to make absolutely sure he knows you're still welcome here you have a place in the family you're loved as a parable this is supposed to teach us something about god and i think that's the message for us that There's nothing that we could do that would cause God to throw us out of the family. That when we come running back, there will always be a place for us. And God will do what God needs to do to make sure we know that. All three of the readings focus on the sense of today, from this day forward, life is new. So the son comes home. The other son's already been there, but the party is really, he can celebrate that too. Today, we move forward. We see no one as separated, no one as outside. This is for you. It's all a a party of life, a celebration of the life God invites us to receive. 
I remember reading an interpretation of this parable once that said that every single character in this story is a mess, that this is a family – like the father is doesn't do well with his sons, even splitting the inheritance when he really shouldn't do that. He doesn't know how to say no to the one son. He hasn't given adequate affirmation or appreciation to the other son so that he knows his father's love already, that this should be called the parable of the dysfunctional family. (laughs) But in that, there is surprising and beautiful grace that is unleashed, that occurs, that despite all of their behavior, God manages to do this beautiful thing and there's a party among them. We would love to hear what you think about this passage, and we'd love to be in conversation with you about it. You can drop us a note at pastors at gloriadaystpaul.org. If you want to know more about Gloria Day Lutheran Church, our website address is gloriadaystpaul.org. You can join us for worship every Sunday at either 8.15 or 10.45 a.m., and we have Sunday school for all ages at 9.30 a.m., And during Lent, we gather for worship on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We hope you'll join us. And thank you for joining us here today. This has been fun. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.